Welcome to episode 58 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And Daz, you may have heard that I'm just about to pour one out myself for the Kawhi Leonard era in San Antonio. Uh, just after we spoke on our last pod, we did speak about the uh, Toronto Kawhi rumours. And not long after we spoke, the trade happened and uh, Kawhi Leonard went to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan and uh, Jakob Pirtle and Danny Green also went back the other way and a first-round pick also goes to the Spurs. So uh, I'll, I want to get your take on it first and then I'll, I'll sort of give my take on where the teams are at. I mean, I think we've spoken quite a bit about where Kawhi ended up uh, with with the Spurs and, you know, the, the Spurs fans like myself were probably out on the guy. But I guess... The big question, and the question I wanted to ask you, and I think it's it's an interesting one, because there's been a lot of talk about have the Spurs done the right thing here um, in in getting a, a player and getting a package that keeps them competitive now. I mean, what what do you think is the best way to go? Should they have gone? Do you think for a pick heavy package? And let's assume that those uh, Boston picks were on the table, the Sacramento, Memphis, and one of their own first. Should they have gone a pick heavy? Uh, offer and maybe look to move Aldridge on and go into a rebuild or is this, in your opinion, the right way to go to remain competitive now see Pop into his retirement in a couple of years and then look at potentially a rebuild then? Yeah, you've kind of led into where I you know, where I tend to begin these conversations is at the top, which is, I'll answer that in the context of the organisational strategy direction and and the question you like to, to frame is that does this organization know where it's at? And with, you know, R.C. Buford and, and, and Pop, right, we all know them and their tenure and their success and um, uh, and the culture and type of organization they've built. Pop's still still there. And so I can't uh, so I can't imagine a, a situation where Pop and R.C. said, yeah, look, let's get ourselves, you know, some 20 you know, some 2020 and 2022, you know, first rounders with, uh, you know, the next, I don't know, uh, a Markel Fultz-based sort of trade or a Brandon Ingram-based sort of trade where it is an acknowledged step backwards to the team in that in that current season. Even if it means something for the future, it's an acknowledged step backwards and a big step backwards because you then have to say, if we're going to go that direction, then why are we here? Right. So when, you know, why would we RC and maybe RC sticks around, but, you know, why would Pop want to ever oversee a, you know, a, you know another five to seven years to perhaps do justice, you know, to the trade. So um, had Pops come out and said, look, I'm retiring in a year, I, you might have seen something different, but um, this made sense to me. Um, it made sense to me for them to get a. Um, so that's part one. It's organizationally aligned to where they're at. The second part, right, is really, 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 really freaking hard to get value for a you know an all NBA talent. Really, really, really hard. And we absolutely panned um, the Jimmy Butler deal last year, and I think that's still proving to be true. As good as marketing is, what the Bulls had to give up was was bloody ridiculous. And the spending eighty million dollars on Zach Levine. Absolutely crazy for two years of Jimmy Butler, and then Paul George turned out to be, you know, call Kevin Pritchard, you know, brilliant or lucky or both. But you know, everyone also panned the, the Paul George deal, right? So with those as recent history, it's really fucking hard to get value for a superstar. 
and and sell it to a fan base and sell it to the locker room the locker room which is the other thing we can't forget is that your best player quote unquote you know is a 32 year old you know lead-footed giant in the middle with lamarcus and your most respected players are you know manu and, and powell who are what 38 and 40 respectively so I mean, to go and get a bunch of kids to sprinkle into that locker room just wouldn't have made sense for anybody, and the value just wouldn't have added up. So so in total, look, you would have liked them to get back in OG Ananobi or a Siakam or a DeLon Wright or a combination of them in addition to DeRozan. Um, but clearly, right, there's no way that could have happened. I think the market bared out what, what Kawhi was worth with his, you know, the risk of his uh, free agency in a year his desire to not be somewhere, not be in San Antonio or to be in L.A. hanging over the head. Um, the, the, all those uncertainties around his health, perhaps, and this bloody, ridiculous entourage that he surrounds himself with. It was enough of a risk and enough of you know, a downgrading of his asset value that, that basically had them only getting back a really highly protected first-round pick, isn't it? Um, so it's Pirtle... Well, it is. It's, it's it's a top twenty protected, but 20 it, protected it will likely. I mean, that's 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 yeah. a bit of risk insurance for Toronto if if things go south with Kawhi's yeah. health, they obviously yeah. don't give up first round pick, and I think that's fair on both sides. So it's it's actually sensibly protected, I but, think, for both so sides. That's a long winded way of saying, from an organizational perspective, it makes sense. From a locker room and where's this team at uh, perspective, and that's. You know, what's this team like? It, ma- it makes sense. And from a, a value of what's Kawhi worth perspective, this wasn't just trying to get, you know, lottery picks. It wasn't just trying to right, get roll the dice on some young, young proven kids, which more often than not proves to be a fatal, a fatal type decision. So I think San Antonio's done a pretty decent job, all things considered, of getting yourself a 20, 25 point a game scorer in DeRozan. And um, a decent, almost a perfect Powell, perhaps a Powell protege, right, in, in Pirtle. I don't think anyone's going to mistake him for, uh, you know, an, an all-star in his career. But I think he's a potentially really high floor, you know, really sort of solid player somewhere in the, you know, maybe if he's, you know, an optimized Stephen Adams level of talent. Different style of game, but, you know. Well, I think, yeah, game, he's, probably, he's probably closer to Tiago Splitter than he is. Power Gasol, but that 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 sort of player, I think. Um, yeah, he's a little more. So. He definitely doesn't have the. Let's see, though, right? He he might have the skill of thirty-six-year-old Powell. He doesn't have the skill of a twenty-six. Well, he doesn't have Powell, the shooting right? range of Powell yet either. Where and and splitter people forget was a beautiful passer and a really high IQ guy in passer. the post. Yeah. and that's what Pirtle yeah. is as well. So the the comps that I'm hearing out of San Antonio and then the more research I've done on the guy is probably slightly more athletic than than what Splitter was, but closer to Splitter's game than probably what he is to Power Gasol's game, because Power's always had that range um, on his shooting. But who knows? I mean, that could develop as well with Pirtle. So it, it, it's a nice piece, I think, um, for the Splitters yeah. to get back. Obviously, look, you would have loved Ananobi just to uh, go off on that mm, point as well. Um, but in terms of, I think, where the, where the, the value was at, 
um, that's where it was at, at that particular point. I think that was as good as you were going to get then. Now, had they have waited six weeks, who knows, the value might have gotten better. Um, but the, like, there was also the likelihood where it would have gotten worse. And I think the closer you got to the season and the more it became likely that Kawhi wasn't coming back, the worse the value would have gotten. So I, I think the Spurs just got a little bit of fatigue about, let's stop talking about this, let's make our decision and move on. The Rosen's a nice piece. The way that certainly improves their team from last season to next season, they were 47 win team as it was, so maybe it pushes them into the sort of 50 win range, keeps them relevant in the playoff race, and in some ways a bridging move, and I think that that what opens the wider point up to me, Daz, is, is the Spurs making the decision that this is a bit of a bridging move for us to keep us competitive, keep us a playoff team, while we develop the Lonnie Walkers and the, and the Jonte Murrays and the Derek Whites and some of these other young guys that are coming through the system because they back their development process to actually uh, develop these guys to a high level. And we've seen, look, DeJounte Murray in his second year in the league was um, second-term All-NBA defence. So he's already showing signs of being a real star, and they're very high on his development. And I think they they feel like maybe there's a little bit more that they can get out of DeRozan's game that we didn't see in Toronto, which is quite possible. But I guess the the wider point and the, the question I want to see to you, what, what, would, what, what path do you prefer... Because I, I get a little bit sick of the blow-it-up crowd and these people that say, as soon as a team can't win a championship, it's time to blow it up, be terrible. Being fourth, you may as well be 30th. Um, go and blow it up, try and get draft picks. That just doesn't work. I mean, the only way that works is if you get a Boston situation where you can get a ridiculous value for a trade for two ageing players and then the team goes into the toilet like the Nets did. Or you do you go all in like Philly did and you're the worst team, one of the worst teams in NBA history for four years. And even then you need a little bit of luck with the with the lottery. But where do you stand? I mean, are you one of these blow it up guys? Or would you rather say, let's do a bit of a have a bridge between one era and the next, but stay competitive between eras and continue to try and win basketball games. Mm. <laughs> Question without notice. Um, uh, how to be succinct in answering this one. My The headline answer is it. I'm generally the in the mindset that the blowed up is a fantasy and it's not really reality. And so, and so I, I tend to sort of say, how do you, how do you balance short-term with long-term growth generally, right? So you don't want to com- consistently sell your future for the short-term. Otherwise, you'll have a situation like Cleveland had this year. But then I go, what other choice do Cleveland have when you've got either Peyton Manning, right, or a LeBron James where you've got your window, you know your window for – you know, for truly elite um, Eastern Conference or, you know, conference and NBA finals, you know, uh, really um, competing for finals is closing. I then subscribe to the quote, blow it up, meaning sell your, sell the future and try to load up to make a run. I am, I am actually in that camp when you know, your window's closing, go for it because winning a title is what one in 30 You've got a 3% chance. If all things being the same, you got one a 1 in 30 chance, which is really hard. And the NBA has always, and I literally mean always been, 
you know, dominated by, you know, by these, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, dynasties, right? Yeah. They're dynastic. The NBA is dynastic. And you got the, you got the, the outliers, you got the, you know, the 2011 Dallas Mavericks and you got the, you know, the early 2000s. 2004 Pistons. Pistons, yeah. Yeah, the little, you, you do have outliers. You got these brilliant teams for a season who rise up and, and win it all, right? But it's they are the absolute exception. So in that context, right, is that you have to know where you're at. I love how you've always framed that question. And then decide. And when Philadelphia said, look, we have no assets, we have no future, we've got no stars. And so Philadelphia absolutely made, from my perspective, a, a very, very difficult choice and stuck with it. Not only just the choice, but then the courage and the guts and the, and the fan base support and the ownership support to stick with it, right, to let, quote, unquote, the process happen. And that is fucking really, really hard to sell, right? Look at Phoenix as his counterpoint to trying to blow it up. Did he, did he have a bit of short-term success? And you go, oh, my God, we won 44 games with Hornacek. And, oh, we got Eric Bledsoe. Oh, we better go buy a bunch of people. Give me Dudley. Give me, give me Tyson Chandler. Oop, then you suck again, right? So the not knowing where you're at is a seductive, or what should I say, winning is a seductress. Mm. You know, the Bucks in 2014, 2015, right? 2014, when they finished, you know, at the number one or number two defense in the league, and and the, you know, winning as a seductress that convinced Jason Kidd that his defensive philosophy was the best thing. And so, what did they do? They go and sell draft picks. They literally give away Pat McCaws and, and Norman Powell, and they buy Grievous Vasquez, and they they sign John Henson and Plumlee. They sign these vets to kind of long term deals, going, "Hey, we're on to magic," and it was about House of Cards. It wasn't built on a foundation. So the do you blow it up? Do you go all in for the short term? And do you build for this longer term is so dependent. And even for a single franchise, you might answer that differently now than you will in 12 months or hell, even even six months through a severe injury, like with a Boogie Cousins or with the Porzingis. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, Daz, but if you're bringing it back to the, the San Antonio perspective, I think this was as good as they could do in a very undesirable situation that they didn't want, right? They absolutely, of course you don't want to trade, you, you know, the, the defensive player of the year, an MVP candidate. You don't ever want to trade that player, especially in his prime, especially when the injury is, you know, his injury is not that severe. I'm convinced, right? As mm. I'm convinced San Antonio knows that injury is not that severe. So, um, so I think they've done well to build the bridge. I think they've done well. DeRozan is still an NBA, a legit NBA player. He's a fringe all-star in the West. Probably he's on the outside looking in. I think he's a clunky fit, right, with the mid-range heavy, post-repost heavy Aldridge, who was, I'll admit, was very fucking effective last year. Marcus was impressive on the offensive end last year. I will give him his due. But I go, yeah, that's probably because Kawhi was on the floor. You know, he, he could be a ball hog because what else? <laughs> who else was going to score? You know, so I think it's a clunky fit. I think Pop has a he, he's going to have to you know charge his engines to for us some tricky, some tricky coaching, right? Demar Derozan is not. He's also not a guy who doesn't want to be there. He we just saw the interview today, and he is he's still again. It's only been nine days or whatever it's been or eight days, but he's still 
He's not a guy going, hey, this is business. I'm ready to get going. Rudy Gay's my boy. Let's strap it on. He's still he's still grieving. He's still wondering why. He's still pissed off that he he and Dwayne Casey are being labeled as the the reasons. You know, but the Maasai coming out. You know, they they had their chances. Meaning Maasai saying they that mm. you know the team had their chances to get over the hump and they couldn't do it. Mainly people suffering the consequences in Canada from you know LeBron's um, destruction is Dwayne Casey and Demar Derozan for a guy who. Right, it was the first one. It wasn't Vince Carter, it wasn't it wasn't Bosch, you know, it wasn't Tracy McGrady. None of those boys stayed in Toronto, but DeRozan did. So if there was a a franchise guy who you thought probably was as beloved by almost irrationally or surprisingly beloved and embraced by a, a fan base for a guy who right, he's a Compton guy. He grew up in L.A. He's not a Canadian cold weather dude, but he's he's taken it on. He's taken less money. He and Lowry had a great bond. Um, and so I think that's going to be a tough – it's going to be tougher than we think transition for a guy like that. Yeah, um, well, he has he's, – he's turned up the Team USA, so he's going to – and Pop's taking them. He's so, a pro. So yeah. straight, and he's already made comments. He's looking forward to working with Pop, and he, he's touched base with Dwayne Casey. And Casey said, you're going to enjoy working with Pop. So I think he's he's ready to move on, but also I think he's still got a massive chip on his shoulder. Um, over how things ended in Toronto. The the biggest concern I have with San Antonio is, I guess, uh, looking at... I mean, Des, let me ask you another question about those. What, what do you think the most important position of the of the five traditional positions that we think of in the NBA, what do you think the most important position is in today's NBA? A back-to-the-basket centre? <laughs> <laughs> No, well, the most important position. Well, that's in terms of if you're looking at it in traditional sense. So you got point guard, shooting guard, small forward, powerful. I understand that those positions don't necessarily exist anymore. But so I'll put the freak Steph Curry to the side because he's an all-time historic top ten in the history of the league player. Um, the most important position is your um, initiator, shot maker. Your LeBron, your Kevin Durant, your Giannis, your the initiator, playmaker. Yep. Shot maker. That's the most – James Harden. I'll, I'll give him credit to James Harden. That's the most important player. And generally so, those guys are, I guess, traditional threes. Maybe they play fours. You know, that, that sort of a position um, is, I guess – and the point I'm, I'm making here is at this stage, San Antonio's starting uh, small forward, if you like, or the player that's going to sort of take that position in their team is probably Rudy Gay. Um and they've signed Dante Cunningham. Uh, they've got maybe Brandon yeah. Paul. Well, Bertans is a stretch four. He's a four, I guess. Uh, and, and so I think if this was the longer-term view, I don't understand why they let Slow-Mo Anderson go. Now, I, I understand if I was putting Slow-Mo Anderson in there, you'd probably be just as underwhelmed, but at least... It's another. It's a more bodies to put in there. I mean, if Rudy Gay goes down, which let's let's face it, we expect to happen at least once next year, they're probably trotting out Dante Cunningham as their starting small forward for multiple games, unless they play DeRozan there, and DeRozan can't defend uh, in that position. And I don't think you'd be he's very a, as effective on offense. He's a weak rebounder too. He played. He's played a lot of three though. Well, with with the FVV and and Larry Lance last year, he played quite a bit three. Uh, But defensively, he was just awful. Uh, Really, he's an awful defender. And I've heard people say, oh, he's not that bad. No, 
he is that bad. Now, whether the team system in the Spurs is going to make him look better, as it's done other players over the years, I'm not sure. But I would have loved to have seen him say, and, and why you've re-signed Bertans, who was awful last year, in my estimation, and then bring back... I don't bring back Kyle Anderson. I understand Kyle Anderson got nine million and Bertans got five, but... To me, that that was inexcusable, and just that that's the biggest head scratching move. If you know you're definitely going, Kawhi's going, and because when when they let Anderson walk, I thought, well, maybe they're thinking Kawhi's going to come back, and they're just going to say, let's see what happens here, because there was still talk about that, and then they go and trade him, and you don't get Ananobi in the deal. Now, I understand maybe you just couldn't get Ananobi, but you would have thought surely they're looking at bringing back a, a guy that can play at the three. Um, or that can match up. Like, when, when we play the LeBrons and the Kevin Durants and players like that in the league, who's going to be marking them from a defensive point of view as well? Uh, yeah. So it's uh, not a... It's, you, you say it's... A, everyone's talking about the fit from a, a spacing point of view, and I get it, but let's just have a look at the team construction now, and the team construction doesn't make any sense. I mean... We were criticising the Clippers, saying they had seven guards in their rotation. Guess how many guards the Spurs have in their rotation at the moment? If Manu comes back, they've got seven. So it's exactly the same. Yeah, they've got well, they've got Paddy Mills. So who's your got, starting five then? You've got Dejounte's your starter, right? Dejounte Murray, Demar Derozan. I think I think they may start Rudy Gay. The only other thing they could yep. do is move Derozan to the three to start with. I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll start Rudy Gay. Uh, and obviously Lamarcus and Powell, that's probably going to be your starting five. Maybe they start Pirtle, but I don't think so. Um, no, so I like, the, I like Pirtle, Mills, Bertans, you know, Manu. That feels like a good – So that's, I don't see it that way. I guess I, you're obviously far closer to it. So, um, Well, then you say so the guards are Murray, Derek White, uh, Lonnie Walker, oh. Manu, Paddy Mills – It'll um, be a stretch for Walker to be Demar, He'll be. I don't think Lonnie's going to play. No, I don't yeah. think Lonnie's going to play much. Yeah. Demar and um, oh, yeah. another, oh, and um, uh, well, Bryn Forbes. So there's the, the seven guys. At, so I think the roster construction is a fair question, but that's the that's of secondary import, right? When you're talking about trading a superstar like Kawhi, it's how do you get maximum value for him? So I, let me put it back to you. As I go, when you look at the package around a you know, a flawed but very, very capable scorer in DeRozan and Pirtle in a protected first, let's say the 22nd pick next year, that package versus a package around a, um, a Markel Fultz. But by all accounts, we heard Fultz wasn't on the table. So I think the other options for them were, you know, it was going to be like a well, Saric. A, a pick-heavy package or Saric, Covington, and, and Saric, Miami Covington, pick. and that's right, and Miami pick kind of centered or... Those were the two most realistic deals because basically Boston pulled everyone. Boston was refused to include Jalen Brown, obviously Tatum, Tatum Horford, and Kyrie. Well, Boston were the reason Boston held back on Marcus Smart signing was they wanted to include Marcus Smart in the sign and trade. So that was, and that's why yeah. as soon as the Kawhi trade went through, Marcus Smart resigned. He signed his deal. The criticism yeah. I have is not around the deal, Daz. I mean, I would have loved to have seen him get Ananobi. But well, you're talking about, I thought you were talking about roster fit, and I go, but you, don't, you didn't have much of a choice. Well, the, the criticism yeah. I have with roster construction is why let Kyle Anderson walk and re-sign Bertans and re-sign Bryn Forbes. You know, why not just bring Kyle Anderson back, let Forbes go, let the Bertans go, bring in Blossom Game, who's, who looked okay in the Summer League, who's 
probably just as good as Bertans. I'd certainly rather see him out there, to be honest with you, than Bertans. That's where I, I was critical, because they must have known that was the deal. And I think with the Spurs, I just think they put... What they do when they go into an off-season is they put numbers on players' heads and say, if this guy gets X number, we're just not going to match that. And I think maybe they had around the 7 million mark on, on Kyle Anderson. Once he got the 9 million, um, they just said, we're not matching that. So they moved on from him. But they if didn't you, if, really have another if you're, option. If you're, if you're lamenting not keeping Kyle Anderson on a long-term, fully guaranteed four-year deal at 9 million a year, then you are a you are as spoiled a fan as you could imagine. I mean, that is the least. I mean, he's a nice ninth man, right? But honestly, Daz, it's a that's a Miles Plumley like contract. It's a, yeah, I mean, it's a worse contract than Tony Snell. So I think Tony Snell has one really elite skill. He just doesn't get a chance to do it very much. Slow mo is like what he's got five modestly boring but effective skills, right? I mean, he's a He's a glue guy. He's a good guy. He's a good good player, but he's not going to... Yeah, but no I don't think you him. worry so much about the contract from that point of view. It's only, it was only three years. I think it's a movable contract if you need oh, to I thought it was four. Anyway. Maybe the fourth year is not guaranteed. The fourth yeah. year, yeah. So... Um, so I, th- I think it was. I, I, w- I would have liked to have seen the match it put it that way. Um, really? If, if you right. if you're doing a move to say we want to be competitive next year too, don't forget. So you're not doing the pick heavy move. You're saying we want to be competitive next year, and then you're going with a massive hole in your roster. So maybe they've got another move up their sleeve. Maybe there's a there's a Paddy Mills deal or something that we're not seeing at the moment um, that they're going to pull the trigger on and and bring in a number another guy that can play that sort of role, but. Um, I just think it's if, if you're resting a lot of uh, your your hopes on a Rudy Gay Dante Cunningham package, um, that's that's problematic if you're trying to make the playoffs in the West. Uh, but look, I, I think we've probably spent enough time on that. Daz, I I sort of think last point on the Spurs, and then we'll look at the Raptors a bit more closely. Um, I, I think the Spurs at, at their ceiling could could push for a three or four seed next year, but that's if everything goes right. I think they're probably going to be around about where they were this year in that sort of bottom half of the West, fighting it out. Um, and, and you know, if, if they get the right matchup in the first round, they might get a bit frisky. But, um, you know, if they meet the Warriors, it's going to be another short, you know, four to five game series, uh, depending on how much intensity the Warriors bring to things. But what about, let, let's look at it from the Toronto point of view. I... I when Toronto did this trade, I first hated it because of the emotion of it, and I just thought, I don't want this guy on my team. Then I loved it. Then I went back to hating it, and then I loved it. I've been back and forth on this, only because I just I worry about what's this guy's mental state, I guess, um, and, and how much intensity is he going to bring to the table next year? Because there's two assumptions you can make. You make the assumption that he just goes out and plays balls out, which which to his credit when he has played on the court in the past, that's exactly what he's done uh, or does he get a little bit surly again, does he want to sort of sit out games or um, th- does he not sort of bring 100% intensity there's just so many unknowns with this but I guess from their point of view it's surely worth the risk because you, it's not every day you can bring in a potential top 3 NBA player to your franchise, particularly in there what's a weekend conference Let's look at what they gave up. They gave up a, a young, you know, late lottery pick in Pirtle, who is still their third big, and perhaps you could say their fourth big if you put, and sometimes you can slide Siakam 
to the five, right? So it gave up a their 11th best player, let's call it, right? Because say what you will, but Big V and, and Ibaka yeah. is still still more effective and get more playing time than Pirtle. They gave up a, let's call it the number 24 draft pick. Yeah, okay, it's a first rounder, but that by itself isn't terribly valuable. And they gave up a guy um, who has been absolutely destroyed in the playoffs and earns 30 million, what's DeRozan? It's about 30 million a year. 27 million, I think it is, yeah. Sorry, 27, yeah, thank you. It's between 27 million a year, right? Who is a wonderful, wonderful guy and a super skilled and hard shot-making player. But, you know, he's not a Blake, he's not on the Blake Griffin bad contract, but that's a, you know, that's a a limited player when you're talking about um, trying to get a, you know, breakthrough and get to the NBA Finals. So if I'm Masai, I gave up a, my 11th best player, a number 24 draft pick or late first round draft pick on a team that already has a whole bunch of young guys as it is FVV, right. And Anobi, um, you know, Norm Powell still probably has, has some future DeLon Wright, Siakam, et cetera. Um, and I, and I'm getting the opportunity. It's just an opportunity. Um, no one's heard from Kawhi yet, right. We haven't heard him fucking speak. Well, he has um, passed his physical, so he's gone there. He's had the well, photo no with Masai yeah. and passed Again, his physical. Um, that part that part frustrates me. It's underreported. The angle, which I let's call a spade a spade, he's exaggerated an injury, stroke faked the severity of an injury for a long time. Hmm. I know it. You know it. The Spurs know it, and of course he passed the physical. He's fucking fine. You know why we know he's fine. We watched him play those nine games. Mikey lost a little bit of lift in some of his um, some of his playmaking in those nine games he played. Yeah, maybe, but you know, so, who, so would anyone who'd missed the first thirty-five games of the season. So um, it's hard not to conclude that he's fucking fine physically, and that everything around this situation is about um, his suddenly secretive um, prima donna being built behind closed doors or is everything on the surface looked like I'm a team guy and behind closed doors. He was all, I'm this precious beast and he's plotting and tracking all the things that, you know, he's not getting from the Spurs in terms of great treatment as it's starting to become heard. So I think, so I digress. What did Toronto give up? I don't think Toronto gave up a ton. They give up a ton of goodwill by trading DeRozan the way they did, but those fans are, are rabid. The instant Kawhi steps on the floor and drains his first three, they're going to forget about the Well, just to finish they off will. that point, too, Daz, so that's where I came back and, and loved it from Toronto's point of view because I thought to myself, let's pretend those four players all went into free agency, right? And let's just pretend for a moment they were free agents. And we walked out at the end of free agency and said, the Spurs signed DeRozan for three years, $27 million a season. So was that three years, $80 million or whatever, right? They signed Pirtle, nice young player. And uh, even after the season and all the injury questions, Toronto got Kawhi Leonard at a one-year flyer for 20-something million and then picked up Danny Green as well. We'd all be sitting back saying, well, Toronto just won for our agency, didn't they? Because they've not, they've, they've not bought DeRozan back, who they're probably out on anyway, and they've potentially signed a superstar who they can offer big money to at the end of next year. I think this was a swing that is hedged. Um, and it's it makes sense. I, I like the deal obviously better for Toronto than I do for for San Antonio. I understand that San Antonio was limited, 
And I think you're right. I, I liked your phrase, the decision fatigue. They're just, they were fucking tired of dealing with this because this, this has been going on for nine months, right? Sometimes longer if you start to hear these Probably stories. Probably longer, now, the I think, yeah. The Pandora's <laughs> box of, again, grievances that he was building up and hiding. <laughs> or grievances that, as if you, if you believe what Michael Wright says, grievances that miraculously the local um, the beat writers decided not to report out of respect to the team, which is fucking mir- absolute miracle. And we could probably spend a whole another episode talking about the uniqueness of the relationship between the Spurs and their and the and the reporters that cover them. Um, but I think this is a uh, it's risky. Of course, it's risky. But what's the risk? I'm buying the assumption that Kawhi's freaking fine. Um, Kawhi is trying to play for a gigantic contract next year and wants to and probably has now a bit of a chip on his shoulder as would DeRozan. So both these guys are going to have chips on their shoulder and De- and Kawhi needs to play. Kawhi needs to play mm-hmm. 60, 70 games does. And so I go, the worst thing you're going to get is if let's say you got a, a, a semi disinterested Kawhi who plays 30 minutes a night for 70 games. That's still, that's still probably as good as DeRozan, if not better. And Oh, by the way, Danny green, if he's got anything left in the tank is a, significant upgrade and be in some of their closing lineups mm. forget the first 82 but games you know games 83 through 100 for them um he can be in the closing lineups and you know um hell he and van vliet and he could slide to the three sometimes mm. if they wanted to Kawhi at the four and you know surge at the five they want to do some their version of a really slow old death lineup but i think it's a i think it was a, a really good trade and a very well calculated risk by Masai, and um, I don't like. What's the downside, right? What's well, the that's it. Though. The downside is he walks in a year, and it's like, okay, we're, we've still got a really nice young core. We and I mean, they're not their cap sheet's not completely clear. They're still still actually over the cap, even if he walks next year. But at least then, once once Larry's contract is up. They've then got some room to move, yeah. um, and they don't look at the Rosen, who you know is. Uh, I guess he's overpaid if he's your best player. He might not be overpaid if he's your second best player, if that makes sense. I don't think. I it's think necessarily... he's on a, I think he's on a good contract. Yeah, yeah I don't think he's overpaid. He's worth it. But if, if that's either. if that's the guy you're saying is our best player, and that's who was their best player last year, then we saw how limited. I mean, he wasn't their I best mean, player in the playoffs, but I think he was in in the regular season. Yes, um, Devin Booker and Andrew Wiggins <laughs> each earn eight million dollars more than Demar Derozan. No freaking way. Yeah. Are they eight million dollars a year better than him? They're not. So I think it's, I think it's a great. He's a value. I think he's a valuable contract. We just can see his limitations in the playoffs. That's all. That's so right. I mean, he's, look, he's, he's still probably a top twenty player in the NBA when it, when all is said and done. Um, particularly in the regular yeah, he, season, there's certainly the warts come out in the in the postseason. But look, the Spurs have had postseason success, so it might be you know the the, the Spurs are the right fit for him. I thought that one of the interesting things on this Daz, and you sort of touched on it earlier about uh, Demar and how beloved he was in that uh, Raptors locker room. A lot of NBA players were really pissed about the way this played out, and not even. I think there was two sides of that. I think one of the sides was that DeRozan was blindsided by it um, to the extent that the Raptors said, no, we're not looking to trade you, and then they did. Uh, And then I think the other reason was I think Kawhi Leonard's lost a lot of respect around the NBA because I saw more than Mm. one player tweet, 
You've mm. just you've just got rid of this guy who bled for your franchise for nothing, right? And DeRozan obviously said for a little bit of nothing. <clears throat> there was another player, uh, it might have been Lou Williams, that said that, that they've traded him for nothing as well. So a lot of players were, you know, why you're getting rid of a guy who who has held that locker room together, who has bled for your franchise, showed loyalty for a guy that just quit on his team and he's a and he's and looks like an absolute head case. So and, and obviously the players look at it and go, you, you're questioning why Kevin Durant does what he does and why there's no loyalty. This is why there's no loyalty because you could be the best player in in the team, slaving your guts out, being the best player best player on a 57 win team. LeBron James comes and cuts your heart out in one of the greatest performances in, in a couple of those playoff games that we've ever seen. <laughs> and then they just say, all right, you're not good enough. See you later. Let's bring in this head case that just quit on his team and didn't even show up for the playoffs. And he's the new Messiah. So I, I think players looked at that and went, oh, this, this, this doesn't pass the smell test for me. So I think there's two things that I think it hurts the Raptors in future when they're, when they're well, maybe it hurts them in terms of free agency in future. We'll wait and see on that. But I think Kawhi Leonard, and this is to your point, he needs to play games. I think he's got a credibility problem in the league. And I think if he thinks guys are going to be falling over themselves wanting to play for him in next and try and sign him to their teams next summer, I think he might have another thing coming. This is going to hinge on the locker room dynamic. What's it like in the first week? And you go, think about the job description of Nick Nurse. Shit. <laughs> Jeez. Well, on that, he, now he we know why. Well, now we know why they didn't hire Messina, I would, I would imagine, because I think this was on the cards. And I think that's one of the reasons. What well, would have would have counted against Messina anyway. But I agree. Nick Nurse has got his work cut out for him now. Boy, howdy. Yeah. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting narrative. And I think the truth is going to lie somewhere in the middle between this guy who lacks credibility and throws his team under the bus but the instant he gets in the locker room and, and has honest dialogue and, and and you know starts to get to know these players i think i think that's going to trump this historical narrative right so as soon as Kawhi gets there and starts you know starts having conversation i think things will be okay because so what's interesting when i just playing the some of the michael wright who was on zach lowe's low post today talking about the instance of the episode in March when everything was coming to a head. This was the day, it was around the days, I'm trying to think if it was before or after, it must have been just before the now infamous team meeting. Yeah, so he was going to come back for the the New Orleans Pelicans game. That's Uh, it. He didn't, and then they played Minnesota the next night, and then they had the team meeting after that. Well, what I'm thinking is they talk, he was talking about the day he'd been he'd been gone for a while, then came back for the team photo. Yep, right. That was the last time and, he was ever with the team. And he's you know talking and just like no time had passed, right? And having a laugh, and they take the photo and do the thing, and it's you know, hey, we're all together. And then then it sort of you know as the photograph session finished, and the guys start to bleed then into the you know I think they must be having a shoot around or something. Kawhi just ran for the door. So you go, who the, who the fuck is this guy, mm. right? Is he is he the guy who, as Michael Wright put it, where he had he what he had said that Kawhi said to the team in that meeting was, I will always be here for you guys. I, you are my brothers. Like I'm here for you, but I'm not here for the organization. 
like of how you can fucking separate those two and say those to your teammates shows mm-hmm. to me like I see the intent right which is I'm I'm a brother I'm your guy but I just I've got problems with upstairs I don't know how you can in good conscience say that to a group of guys who are are you know are battling in game 70 through 80 in the dog days of March trying to stretch and claw to stay in the playoffs not knowing where their their leader is at um, how you say that to a team and tell them that you don't trust the, the front office. I just, I think for that, for me, was Michael Wright was saying it as a, uh, not a defense, but an explanation of how Kawhi was perceived in the locker room and how he perceived the front office. But my read is that that was an absolutely naive, a very naive thing to say. And I, I'd be shocked if that was what you're suggesting. If he's got a credibility problem, that would have just, poof, that, that message spreads like wildfire. Yeah. Right? Here's a guy in the middle of a playoff run who's probably pretty healthy who's telling us he's got a problem with management. So, bye, guys. I, I, I have your back, but I got your back. See ya. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think there's plenty more layers to this onion that's going to be peeled away. And yeah. I think yeah. you might, I think Kawhi's camp as time goes on, is going to release more of their side of the story. And who knows? Look, there may have been some some problems with the way management interacted with Kawhi that he just couldn't get over. Who knows? I mean, um, what what may or may not have happened there. But from what we know at the moment, um, well. he clearly sort of quit on the team, and it was all pretty petty sort of stuff that he was uh, he was going on about. And um, you know, he, I, I think you're hundred percent right in terms of his health. I don't think there was any. And, and Michael Wright did say he honestly believed that he wasn't right to come back. Well, I, I don't believe that, but I think that was just uh, right being a little bit diplomatic, to be honest. Um, I think he was right in January. I actually think he was right when he was coming back and playing the games. I just think something clicked with him. He didn't want to play anymore, and um, he thought I'll just sit out and and force my way out of here in a trade, and he's done it. So. Um, good luck in in, in Canada. Uh, it's not quite LA in terms of the weather. So if he thought he was going to be sunning himself all year, I'm sure um, he can make other other arrangements on that now. But the la- last point on this, does <laughs> where do you see Toronto now? If you get the the best version of Kawhi Leonard, I'm going to go out on the limb. I think they're the best team in the East. I think they'll beat Celt- the Celtics. I think they'll beat the Sixers. I think they'll be in the NBA Finals if they get the best out of this guy. I don't think they're going to get the best out of him. And I think in a year's time, the Spurs will be feeling better about this trade than what Toronto will, even though Toronto will probably say, look, we had to take the chance, no regrets. But I think they'll say, well, we've struck out there. That's how I think it will play out. But if you said to me, Kawhi's going to come back and play as well as he was playing two seasons ago with the Spurs, I actually put them in as favourites in the Eastern Conference. Look, in a... I probably would tend to agree. I'll be honest with you. I go in a playoff series. If you ask me, would I take Kawhi and who would be his running mate up there? Who'd be another wing in Toronto? Well, you I got I don't know. Be Kawhi, CJ Miles, uh, CJ Miles, Danny Green, yeah, Kyle Lowry, um, JV, Ibaka. Yeah, like, I'm, t- I'm sort of going on the whole lineups, but in terms yeah, of yeah, yeah just wings. Yeah, I think Ananobi like, showed enough signs last year too that he's ready for prime time. Look, if Gordon Hayward is 100%, it's hard to bet against the the eight-headed Hydra that's Boston. I think the Boston just has more ways to beat you and has more top-end depth, right? Um, 
but Kawhi would be still if Kawhi 100% is by far the best player in a Toronto Boston series and that's not even close all due respect to how Al Horford played it's not close he is by far the best player on the floor and again it's the the sample size of two and a half quarters but again when he got Zaza they were up by 25 points in Golden State and he was fucking just (laughs) he got anywhere he wanted on the floor against Draymond and KD that's just what he does he's surgical um and he can shoot so Mm. yeah I'd like I guess caught up here the emotion of the trade and my hatred for and disrespect for all things Celtics and my you know the, the vitriol that drips off my tongue every time they get they fall fucking ass backwards into a Prokhorov and Vladivac <laughs> deluge of fucking draft picks. Fucking scumbags. I want, I want to wish Toronto better than, than Boston. Um, that being said, yeah, he's the best player on the floor in that series. It'd be hard. They would need to be optimized because I think, again, Boston's so much deeper, one through six, one through seven, but um, Toronto's got one through 12. So regular season, Toronto's probably going to finish probably number one again, but boy, hard to bet against the Celtics in a, in a series. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Look, I mean, as it stands at the moment, I, I think the Celtics are the favourites because, I, as I said, I don't think they get, we're going to see the optimised level of, of Kawhi Leonard. But, um, and, and, well, to, and I'm sort of past it too, Daz. I, I do hope we see the best of Kawhi Leonard because I just, you, you want to see good basketball. But, you know, that's fine, but you can't, that's a one-sided conversation. If you're talking about where they stand in the East, you have to ask yourself, are we going to see the optimized um, Kyrie Irving after his latest set of surgeries? Are we going to see the optimized Gordon Hayward after the last time we saw him? His, well, last time we saw him was the 8,000 fucking Instagram photos of himself lifting weights, but, you know, with his ankle dangling off his, you know, his shin, is he going to be the same, is he going to be the same player? Will Jalen Brown and his, you know, high usage be, you know, how will that be affected? You know, that, that Horton, uh, that Hayward is back. And there's, there's some not insignificant questions about Boston as well. They've got a whole bunch of ridiculous talent, but it's not, they're not givens, right? The, the Kawhi injury compared against Hayward and, and Kyrie Irving, is that equal amount of risk? I'd probably say so. Like, if, what happens when Kyrie loses some lift as? What if he, oh what look! If he I think from an injury, from a physicality point of view, I think Kawhi is less of a risk. But from a from a from a personality point of view, um, well, yeah. I, I can just see things going south from there. But I'm a, I'm a little bit biased on that on that front but at the moment. A, having seen as what we he say, did this it's week. a non-zero probability that he gives the minimum or has some niggling injuries and plays 52 games enough to be to prove to the world that he can play, but not nearly enough to tax his body. Or to jeopardize a you know a five year or sorry a four year, mm. hundred and forty million dollar contract that's possible, but boy oh boy oh boy even with horrible management and horrible agents representatives, to do that for two years in a row, you are committing career suicide, if you do that though. So I just well, I, maybe I'm giving too much credit to his team, <laughs> to his to his group, but I can't imagine him sabotaging himself that way. And if he doesn't see the self-sabotage, then he deserves to be he deserves to be reviled. 
Well, we'll see. Look, I mean, we'll see how sort of the thing play out and what sort of stories we're hearing out of Toronto as, as the season goes on. But I think they're certainly there. I'm not as high on Philadelphia as what some others are. I think they're a little bit of a mirage. I think they're still a couple of years away. And I, and I agree. I think there's some question marks about the Celtics, but they're so well coached. Um, I think in the regular season, they can stay afloat. And if they're, if they're healthy enough come the playoffs times, um, they will be uh, the, the white-hot favourites, I think, uh, to make the NBA Finals. Uh, let's let's move on though, Daz, to a couple other bits of news. Another uh, Eastern Conference team made a bit of a splash um, with a, a contract signing, and Kevin Love. Uh, he signed for four years. How how much was the contract, Daz? It was four years, hundred one twenty one twenty. So four years, one twenty. This was a bit of a head scratcher to me. I've heard differing opinions. Some people think, well, this is a it's still a movable contract um, if, if they want to make a trade and, and sort of bring in some other assets. I'm not sure who's going to be trading for Kevin Love with his injury history. I thought it was a, a really strange move for Cleveland. But I guess what what what's their thinking now? I mean, are they are they a playoff team a playoff team at the moment with this this lineup? Are they thinking that Kevin Love is going to go back to Minnesota? Kevin Love. I mean, sell me on this move, Daz. Well, they get a payroll that's like a billion dollars, right? I so, thought they'd be getting off money. That's the thing that I haven't understood. But how long is it going to take this? Got this money? It's got they got at least two more seasons, right, to let this money start to dry out. Um, they've got you know Thompson and Smith, and you know the list of names are all on. They had a big, massive payroll, Daz. So. Um, so where are they at? Having LeBron as GM is like being in a punters club with John Daly, isn't it? It's just like <laughs> you better bring your checkbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know where I'm on. It's still not his job description. He has influence, but anyway, don't get me started. His presence in his one-in-one contracts create the situation where general managers need to do some crazy shit. I'll say that, but yeah. I don't buy the quote LeBron as GM end quote. I don't, I don't subscribe to that one. Um, but so they've got a big payroll. Let's put it that way. They had a big payroll and their team got markedly worse. They have a, an exciting, um, albeit limited and flawed, you know, new hot young thing in Colin Sexton. So a fun, fun player to kind of put butts in the seats and um, they see, probably look around and say they've got a really dilapidated Eastern Conference, right? And we, this is a playoff team, right? This team isn't a this isn't a team that's down with New York and New Jersey and, or sorry, Brooklyn, Orlando and Atlanta and Charlotte. This team is there in that six through eight range, Daz, maybe even five mm, through eight. No, so, they're, they're, I'll, I'll go yeah. on a hot take now. This is not a playoff team next year. Yeah. This is not a playoff team. Yeah, they're play- they're definitely a playoff team. So yeah, for sh- for sure. Do you-, you want me? To- okay, ready ready for the hot garbage, <laughs> right? Nets, Knicks. <laughs> That's two. Well, okay. Bulls. Who's your top five? So you've got Houston. Well, top fives are easy. That's you know Boston, uh, Philadelphia, Toronto, Milwaukee, um, Milwaukee, Indiana, Indiana. And then then you got the Miami. Wizards. The, the Wizards will rot from the inside out. That team is a. That's a. We could spend two hours on that dumpster fire. Miami, yeah. Miami are better than team. them. I think the Pistons are so better I, than them. I think the Tornets are better than them. Well, that's. I got. There's your. There's your tiers. I mean, we're here in July. I think you've got Cleveland, Detroit, and Miami. That's the tier of 
six through eight. Uh, sorry, seven through nine. Mm. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, seven through nine. Right? So it's a playoff team. They're a probable Charlotte, seriously. No. <laughs> I'm not worried about Charlotte. Um well, I think what's, right? well, let's let's wait. So, I mean, there's a team that that didn't didn't go in the, for the full rebuild. They they had a nine win season. I think they made the playoffs two years later. So that they didn't have the patience for it. But let's look, put it this way: with the with the with the existence of the six or seven teams at the bottom of the league, Cleveland's in no position to be tanking to win their you know to win another fucking ping pong ball. Lottery, I don't think they're going right? to tank. But this is the point, Daz. Kevin Love has never made the playoffs as the best player in his team. He never, and admittedly, he was in the West. Okay, so it's obviously a harder, harder thing. But look at the record of this team when LeBron James sat during the t- times he was there. Even when they had Kyrie, they were horrendous. So then you ask yourself the three, the three outcomes. Do you let Kevin Love just play out this contract and let him go? Do you trade him now? or at the deadline, and what's his value now? Or do you re-sign him, right? So I go, is this trade value better or worse now with the contract where he's locked in for four more years than he would be on an expiring? Is he worth more or less? Excuse depends how, what happens. It depends how he plays, I guess. Maybe the, the thinking is we'll do a Blake Griffin with him and just get him out there, give him high usage for the first three, four months of the year, let him get back to putting up big numbers, and then move him and see if we can we can move him on um, and, and generate some interest then. That's the only way it makes sense to me because this is not a guy that's going to age well. He's already had back issues. He's had trouble, trouble staying on the court. Hasn't looked anywhere near... I mean, he's shown flashes here and there of the old Kevin Love, but has not looked anywhere near the player that he was in Minnesota. And part of that's been usage, but last year he was he was used a lot more um, than what he had been when Kyrie was there. So I, I sort of look at it and think, I, I don't see where he's going to get any better. I think he's going to get worse. So unless the, the plan is just, let's get this guy to put up numbers and then look at trading him while his value's higher... I, I don't see the reason in locking him in, um, other other than to say yes, he's going to be an asset if he puts up numbers. I th- I tend to believe he's worth more now that he's got a locked into a deal than he is on an expiry. I think he could. Well, like I agree this, with you on that. I think in six months' time, yeah. if he, if he puts in the numbers early in the season, yes, I do. But as he goes into the second year of that contract, I think it, it comes closer to being a negative asset because you don't want to be playing, paying Kevin Love $30 million a year as his body starts to break down. Yeah, look, I know he's had some some issues, but I, I sort of look at him in a in a similar style, let's just say style, of, of a Dirk because he's such a beautiful oh, shooter. No, no. no but, but I'm talking about aging. Right, if Kevin Love can shoot the three and rebound, right, for the next four or five years, that's still going to be look. It may not be worth thirty million a year, but that's a, th- those are very valuable skills, right? Look how Dirk has maintained right, his ability to shoot the freaking ball, you know, all the way through his thirties. And so I go, he's he, this is the age thirty to thirty four, yeah. Like it's the end of the it's the end of the of the peak of his of his prime, but at the end of his prime for sure. I think his best days are behind him, mm. but I'm, I guess I'm less pessimistic about his game aging, right? Because he's such a great shooter. 
Oh, the, it's the body, and and the, that's where the ruby I think is going to yep. fall off because the, with the body breaking down the way it has been, um, and he's had shoulder issues, he's had back issues, he had the hand problem. These are things that can come up again, and I think if he's not on the court. This might be the worst team in the Eastern Conference, Daz. No. This is the problem for me. Where, where, who else have they got? Am I yeah, missing something? I got, no, you're not missing something, but yeah, just reread the teams of the rosters of Atlanta. <laughs> well, look, Chicago are going to be... Chicago aren't going to be a complete dumpster fire The Knicks without year. Zinger, you know, there's a, there's a garbage fire at the bottom of the East, right? So, look, so I, I didn't love it, but I don't hate it yet. Right. So I go, I think that it's a, there's also a bit of, right. There's a bit of marketing here. Let's not be, let's not be daft. Right. This is a, a signal to the, right. To the fan base yep. and to the locker That's room fair. that we're not, that we're not going to just quit now that LeBron's gone. We're not going to quit. So, um, and who knows, you're right. The, the most, I think it is the best season in ter- in Minnesota, did they win 42 games, but they missed the play. He missed the playoffs every year. I think he might have gone 500 once. Um, but as a veteran, veteran team, right, the Cavs. So, look, I I don't love it. I don't hate it. I'm I'm in an incomplete. Well, that's why one. I still feel like they're going to move because they could have signed into this contract at the end of next season. So I, I, not that they're looking to move him. I should yeah, say that. I think they're keeping their options open to move him. And to your earlier point, I think he, he, he is more of an asset if he puts up early numbers yeah. on a longer-term contract than on an expiring but, contract. And then think about every argument we just talked about with Kawhi, with the level of engagement, and is he going to give it his effort? You just don't want that hanging over a guy like Kevin Love, who's from L.A., in the summer of 2019, when half the planet's going to be a free agent, and there's going to be cap space all over the place. Again, that's the other thing you avoid this season is playing on a lame duck contract. Is any question about engagement and commitment? So mm. he's locked in. He's going to feel good. And uh, again, I, I, I this is nitpicking, but I would have ooh thirty million a year. If you could have got him on the Giannis contract for for a hundred, I'd feel better about it. But look in the grand scheme, that that's probably not going to mean a huge amount. You know the five million a year. Again, he signed with Bird, right? So it doesn't it doesn't matter. But I I did feel the thirty million was a bit like oh shit really <laughs> four for a hundred probably would have felt about right. So I thought this was a bit rich, but um, but again, it's I guess that's the price of you know living in Cleveland, and he's now your best player, and that's that's what you're paying a premium for. It's so. amazing too. Like very few players have done more from one play for their legacy than Kevin Love. And just the fact that he defended Steph Curry on that final shot in Game 7, that Steph Curry only just missed, by the way. And it was a shot that Steph Curry had hit multiple times throughout the season. So it didn't, sometimes it doesn't matter how well you defend the guy, he's still going to hit that shot. And Steph misses it. And, and, and all the sins, all the criticism that Kevin Love copped uh, had, had, was forgotten in one play. So, um, and no doubt <laughs> plays a part in, in that contract. So well done to him. I, I've certainly been one that's piled on in, in the past, as, and I was a, a big uh a big critic of the of the Wiggins for love trade, but uh, I think at some point you got to accept your humble pie, Daz, and um, and and accept that you might have got one wrong. So I think that was a that was one good move that uh, GM LeBron made um, during his tenure there. So speaking of good players that put in good effort, let's move to uh, Camelo Anthony because 
he's also been in the news, Daz. He was um, <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, traded to Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks. And when I first thought, saw it, I just shook my head. Well, what are Atlanta doing? Not even realising, obviously, they're going to waive him. And it's just a matter of a, a way of getting off uh, Schroeder's contract and obviously getting some picks back for that. Um, so it was, a, it was a complicated sort of trade. There's players going back and forth, left, right and centre, but let's concentrate on the two main ones, and that's uh, Dennis Schroeder going to OKC from Atlanta and Melo going to Houston via Atlanta after getting waived. Let, let's look at the Houston side of it first. I find this completely depressing for Houston. I mean, the, the, the downgrade of their roster from what they had last year to what they're going to go into uh, for this year, I think it's quite significant. And I, I don't even... And everyone's saying, oh, look, they're still number two in the in the, in the the West. I'm not sure I have them as number two in the West anymore. My, my initial reaction is similar. It's italicized WTF, exclamation point. But I stop and I go... I'm going to say it because I'm I'm hoping I believe it by the time that my end of my sentence is finished. Daryl Morey has earned my trust. What do I mean by that? As I go, he signed Michael Carter Williams to a minimum contract. He has downgraded significantly from Trevor Ariza to James Ennis. And he's about to sign. Has it been official yet? I don't think it's He's about to sign Carmelo, right? It's, no, it's, it's all by the official. It's been reported, but he hasn't obviously signed that. But for how much, right? Not much. How much is Houston paying Carmelo Anthony this year? Four million bucks? Oh, it doesn't matter. So kind of go, if you paid me 10 million, I wouldn't have him on the roster. And well, I'm being serious there. I think he's a negative asset just being on your roster at this point. But this is my point. It's different. It is different. You pay him his $25 million, it's different than paying him $5 million because you're paying him $5 million, not 25 You pay him 25 you feel like OKC last year. You have to play the guy 32 minutes a game. You pay a guy $5 bucks a year. If he's shit, you stop playing him. You think Daryl Morey and his desire to try and kill the fucking Golden State Warriors, if they've got an unhappy Carmelo Anthony who's stroppy and does maybe a Derrick Rose routine and has a quote-unquote family issue and just disappears, what's he going to do? Fucking cut him. Yeah, but who are they going to play in his place? This is the problem. Ryan Anderson. Oh, well, and and we know how that turns out. Look, there's two different different conversations here. There's the letting Luke Richard and P.J. Tucker go. Sorry, and letting Ariza go. That's a different conversation. You asked about acquiring Carmelo Anthony, right? That's what this trade was about. I go acquiring Carmelo Anthony. Daryl Morey's earned my trust. And so the logic I can see is that it's a scoring threat. Houston likes to score points. He costs about $5 million a year on an expiring contract. If he is shit or gets disengages or stops trying, I will cut him. And it doesn't cost my team very much. Because if he's doing all those things, that means he's not helping us win games. And so, therefore, the on-court product isn't going to suffer either. So I'm seeing this as a, 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 a the financial investment is low. The, um, the ability for them to pull the ripcord if it goes south is high. He's not Phil Jackson tied and giving away a no-trade clause. He's not Billy Donovan, who's got a guy in a two-year contract making a ton of money per year and scoffing with indignance to the media about coming off the bench. He's got a guy on a minimum contract 
an expiring deal at the end of his career. I go, that feels like a market inefficiency if I'm Daryl Morey. So no, well, there's a oh, – well, he, he likes to kill. Look, listen, you go back to your chips for a second because I'm going to – I'm going to – Okay, you go. The point here. So what I'm – my issue with this is, right, you're now looking at a team that was, was actually a defense first team last year. So, you know, yes, they like to score points. You're now bringing in a guy that doesn't play any defense. And here's the other thing. This is what I see for the future of the Houston Rockets. So you've got Chris Paul, a guy who generally doesn't uh, turn up and, and hit the ground running in the regular season, likes to play himself into shape, and, and he's earned that right as an older player. You've got James Harden just won the MVP. I'll be stunned if James Harden comes back next year and plays to the same level that he's played to the last two years. I think there's going to be absolutely be some regression from James Harden, and particularly, I think, on the defensive end as well. You've lost Ariza and Barbute, two of your best defenders. PJ Chucker's coming off his best season ever. Is he going to play at the same level? Clint Capella has already knocked back a contract, and that's dragging out. Is he going to be a happy camper when he comes back next year? I'm not convinced that's going to be the case. They've still got Ryan Anderson's Albatross contract there, a guy that they weren't even playing at the end of the year. And now you're throwing in Carter Williams and and Mello into the mix and expecting them to be part of the rotation. This is a massive downgrade, I think, um, for the Houston Rockets. And as I said, I, I... this thought that they are still the presumptive number two seed in the West, I'm just not buying it anymore, Daz. I think they could be closer to around the 4-5 range because I think there's a lot that can go wrong now with this team. And I just... We talked about roster construction with the Spurs earlier. I'm not liking what I'm seeing from this roster construction, uh, the way it's presented at the moment. I mean, on, on Harden, I mean, do you... Where do you see Harden next year? Do you expect he's going to come back and play at the same level that he's played for the last two seasons? Because I, I don't. You took the words right out of my mouth. I No, of course I don't. Mm. I, I think... Um, no, I think they, he left everything on the floor. And I do give him credit. Even when Chris Paul went down, we saw Harden. He didn't quit, right? The way, and I see he's quit in italics, the way he quit the previous season, right? In the game where he just looked completely disinterested. So give Harden credit. He was he was he gave effort to the very end to Game Seven with with Golden State. But I think it's going to be very 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 fucking hard to restart those engines. Mm. And he's won his MVP. He knows he's not going to win it again. There's no way because he shouldn't have won it this year. It was a fucking gimmick, gimmick uh, media created narrative about the best scorer in the league. Not even the best scorer. The guy with the highest points per game average won the MVP. So I'm with you. I think we're going to see less from James Harden. He doesn't have the fire of a, a Russell Westbrook to maintain it. And this team's going to go from what they were 65 wins. This is a 52 win team. I think it's 50, 50, 52. Oh, they would certainly get in the 50s. Yeah. Well, if Chris Paul and Harden and and the you know and Eric Gordon, if they all play you know 60 to 70 games, they'll win. You know, they'll win 50, their 50-win team. But for sure, this is not a number one seed team by any stretch. This is not a team in the regular season who's going to come close to challenging Golden State. Well, that's the the interesting thing, though, Daz, because I don't think Golden State are going to be the greatest regular season team next year either. I think they're going to coast through the regular season in some ways the same way they did last year. And it's going to be interesting to see, do we get 
um, you know, when we talked about the Spurs earlier, do we get a Spurs, do we get a Utah, do we get a Portland, do we get an OKC that just comes out of nowhere and steals that number one seed? Now, no, I, I don't expect any of them teams uh, to beat Golden State when come playoff times, whether they've got uh, home court advantage or not. But I think it is open that that number one seed in the regular season for the Western Conference, I think it's more open than what people are giving it credit for right at the moment. I think Houston's window's closed. I'm going to be more blunt. Their window's closed. I trust Chris Paul less. He broke the world's heart with his hamstring. I think Ariza was their toughest, hardest, most irreplaceable player from a, a role player, and he's gone. I think Carmelo Anthony is, It's a, from an economic perspective, low-cost, modest reward. It's probably not going to move the dial. This team's going to lose at least 10 more, perhaps 15 more regular seasons games. Golden State has gotten better and deeper and had more weaponry. I think this team is a, much like the rest of the 29 other teams, is a interesting non-threat that we're going to have to find joy in things other than challenging for an NBA title. That's what I think has happened. I think they had a one-year window, like the Atlanta Hawks of 2015, gone. Shoot. The window snapshot. So I think that's well. The, the sad thing is, though, they they slammed it shut themselves. Um, whereas I guess you could make the same argument about Atlanta, but it's, it's well, interesting the way they've gone about their off season. Um, when I think most people were thinking, run it back for at least one more year. You were that close, but then not only do they not run it back, they then sign Chris Paul this long term massive contract. So let's be clear. I hated what they do, they've done in the off-season. I haven't liked it either, but let's be clear about who, who the they, who is the they. Well, that's the, the conversation. you made the point about the ownership Tita, situation. Right? That's it. There's, Trevor Reza doesn't go to the, to, the, to the fucking fledgling juveniles in Phoenix, right, if he gets even a, a remotely respectable offer from Houston. So yep. it sounds like they were giving him a what, one year six, one year eight, something is like any man in their right mind who has any self-respect is going to go take the extra $7 million. Right. So I think this is a an owner driven change, not a general manager driven change. And that's mm. the, that's where I go. I empathize with Maury and the team going, given his constraints, given his economic constraints, he is saying, right. Don't, 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 don't doubt that he's run the numbers and to crunch the crunch the data to go. What are all the possible outcomes for Carmelo Anthony using all of his comps and the whole entire basketball reference database? If we use them in certain ways with certain usage, with a um, theorized scenario of a shot chart that looks like this, and our synergy data says he only runs this far in during the season and he has this many rest games, we control those variables. How many VORP does he deliver us? And no doubt, Daz that he has run the economic models that says for $5 million a year, there's an X probability that the Carmelo Anthony under these conditions is going to deliver a VORP of the following. That's how he thinks. That's why I go, I earned trust, unlike my franchise, which I follow, has unearned trust with the Milwaukee Bucks, had signed um, Michael Carter-Williams and um, and Carmelo Anthony in this offseason. There would have been a, a, a tyrannic roar that would have more than dwarfed three Ray Allen trades and five Miles Plumley contracts, right? So I go, if, that, if my franchise does it, it is absolute um, Hiroshima mushroom cloud. When Daryl Morey does it, we go, huh, what's he got up his sleeve? What's his data telling him? Right? That's how I respond to it. So 
I'm with you. No one's pretending he plays fucking defense. And duh, it does it doesn't take it doesn't take a brainiac to go, yeah, he can't defend like Ariza. We get that. There's other ways to win games. And my theory is for five million that Daryl Morey is saying, look, there's a non zero probability that an optimized Carmelo Anthony at whatever these variables are delivers us X amount of victories and gives us X amount of chance to um you know, to defeat Golden State. Given his ownership constraints, yeah. So, uh, well, that's fair. I, I mean, I think the San Antonio in the same boat. Where had had the Kawhi situation played out for some other franchises, uh, you would have been looking at the situation where they would have been thrown right under the bus. So, some franchises get the benefit of the doubt, and some don't. And, that, and that's obviously something that you earn over many seasons. Yeah. And and Houston, for all the San Antonio success, um, Houston have had almost as much. They haven't had as many titles, but they've had. I think, 35 seasons um, of, of winning basketball so they, they've only bottomed out I think probably once in the whole time that's when they got Yao Ming so um, they've been very very good uh, for a long long period of time the Houston Rockets it's not just Daryl Morey's era it, it goes right back um, let, let's look at the other side of that Daz and that's uh, Schroeder to OKC um, this is an interesting one I've, I've got a bit of a different take on it than, than what you do. I, I don't like the move. Don't get me wrong. I don't understand how they think this is necessarily going to work. Um, there's some suggestion, I think, yeah, probably rightfully so, this is sort of the Reggie Jackson um, type player that didn't really work when he was there. So I'm not sure why Schroeder's going to work this time, but they're going to sort of go back to the offense the way it was when Jackson was there and you had um, Reggie Jackson uh, Kevin Durant, and obviously Paul George will be playing the part of Kevin Durant. We saw how that played out last year with a 2 for 16 playoff game, so good luck with that. And Russ will be Russ, and probably a little bit more turbocharged Russ than what we even saw in the uh, the Kevin Durant era. So that's the thinking, I think. And, and offensively, I, it makes sense in terms of the second unit. I can see, you know, certainly for the the few minutes that Russ sits every game, Schroeder can come in and play the point, and he is a scoring score first point guard. So that that's fine, and maybe Russ won't play as many minutes this year. But obviously, given the the contract that he has, Schroeder, they're going to be expecting him and Russ to play some minutes together. And I just I can't see how that's going to work, Daz. But again. Try and talk me around. What, what's Billy Donovan going to have up his sleeve um, to try and to try and make this work this season? <laughs> Boy, how do you, I don't know. That's so why I said he's on my top five um, hardest coaching jobs. Um, what's a lot of what's some upside though? So um, for me, this deal was all about again less about fit and all about asset um, utilization. So give what are Sam Presti's options with Carmelo Anthony? One, you bring him back and ask him to play off the bench and have this fucked up dynamic between general manager, player, and coach on a $25 million deal for a player who doesn't want to, you know, do anything other than be the man, catch the ball, take two dribbles, and shoot a 20-footer. Right? That clearly wasn't an option. Bring him back and trot it back out again. Not an option, right? Okay. So what do we do? Do we buy him out? We spend $21 million, $23 million. We throw $23 million away. Poof. Buy. Buy you out. Sayonara. See you later. Do we uh, wave and stretch him? 
which is to say goodbye, fuck off, and we burden our salary cap for the next four seasons at about $6 million a year, mm. right? Or do we tra- try to find a trade, right? So that's from my perspective. What were their options with Carmelo Anthony? You're not bringing him back. Um, buying him out is a bet skin owner for free money. That's very bloody hard to do for teams way into the repeater tax. This deal, by the way, saves them a whole bunch of tax dollars. Do you wave and stretch and burden your salary cap, or do you try and strike a trade? So that's what was the pick that they gave up with him? It was a 2021 first rounder, obviously protected. That was a second rounder. It was a second rounder, was it? We should look that up. Hang on. So that was my. Why don't you look it up? While I, it's a really good question. Um. So that's my first lens. I go, I thought this was asset maximization, where they've gotten back a player and shooter. And, um, yes, excuse me, he's on a, he's got three years left. But the alternative is, well, I could pay Carmelo $6 million a year to not be here. Or I could pay Schroeder $15 million a year to be here. A 24-year-old player who's super athletic, um, who can't shoot. He's imperfect, but, man... So my delta from nine million dollars a year is a difference. I could have it's effectively nine million dollars what they're paying Schroeder, if you look at it that way, right? If you, yep. you stretch Carmelo, it's about six million a year. Pay Schroeder fifteen, and the delta is nine million. And they go, that's not bad. That's not a bad roll of the dice for a player who can. I love the way Verno said. It. I didn't think of this until I heard Kevin O'Connor and Verno talk about it. As you go, a player like Dennis Schroeder. He has that ability on a given night, not many given nights, but there will be a night. There could be a night the way Reggie Jackson delivered a 32-point game, you know, in game four of a Eastern Conf- or the Western Conference semis, you know, three, four years ago, three years ago. So Schroeder has it in him. Schroeder can go off on a, you know, a 14 for 19 from the field night where he destroys everyone off the bounce, um, makes the basic pass and can, can finish. That's a, that can happen, and is it going to happen? You know, in the mo- in the, in the majority of the eighty-two regular season games, of course not. Um, but it's going to allow Russ to rest a little more to the extent that Russ will take a bit of rest. And I go as crazy as it sounds, Russ might actually play a little off ball, as nuts as that sounds. The way his fucking motor runs. Imagine Russ running off a thousand screens. Right, which he can do. He, he never stops running. Because Russ again, he's he's less efficient. He's more efficient than Schroeder, but that's a bit of a tallest midget argument. Like I think there's some lineups where they're both in the backcourt and Russ playing more off ball with Schroeder breaking the defensive down. And they go, that's kind of cool, isn't it? No, Too super- that's not well, what's going to happen. Uh, it's kind of cool. It didn't say it was good. I didn't say winning. I said it's kind of cool. It's this a, is what will happen. Russ will ring. play off the ball for one possession. If they don't score on that possession, Russ will say, <laughs> everyone back the fuck off. I've got it. That's what will happen. And everyone That's who what... says otherwise is watching too much fucking tape of a couple of plays where, oh, yeah, he was off the ball and he scored on this layup oh. or whatever. If he does, if they don't score and he's off the ball, he's not going to be off the ball for the next five possessions. So forget I, that. That ain't happening. I told you, I told you, Billy Donovan, hardest coaching. <laughs> it's a hard coaching job. 
Now it is That's a it is. 2022 first round pick protected one to fourteen, so it's a um, first rounder. It's a oh, first right. round. Now it is it, that's that's a reasonable protection one to fourteen. So if they fall off lottery. off okay. the cliff, yeah. um, that's a, that's a lottery protection. So here's my take, Daz. And, and you said before we come on there, you said I think Billy Donovan's under pressure. I think um, you know he he may find himself out of a job if this doesn't work this year. I'll tell you who might be in a new location if this doesn't work this year, and I think that's Russell Westbrook. I think OKC are more committed. I don't know if they're more committed, but I I think that at the end of this season, if the Schroeder move doesn't work, they're just going to sit back and say, who could we possibly put around this guy and make this a successful team? Because I'm not sure there's a player in the league that you can put with Russell Westbrook and it's going to work at this point. So I think they may be going. They may get say at the end of this season. If it doesn't work with Schroeder, let's cut bait with him, hand the keys to Schroeder, and go forward with a Schroeder, Paul George, whatever we can get for us, and that might give us a better chance. Um, even if we're not a championship contender, um, everyone might have a little bit more fun on the court without Russ there. I think I think Russell Westbrook's the guy under pressure to keep his spot in this team rather than uh, Billy Donovan. This because Dennis Schroeder is such a proven team builder, he's a team guy. I don't think he is, but, but at the end of the day, he's a he's the poor poor man's Russell Westbrook anyway. Um, so what's uh, you know, I just think that a- if it doesn't work with Schroeder, it doesn't work with this line this year, and you sort of look at it and go, Russ just shot forty five times again, and we're out. Um, I think they they're going to have some decisions to make about how they go forward with this team. We just saw Blake and DeMar DeRozan get traded, and Kawhi for that matter, but Kawhi was the one forcing his way out. That's a, that's also not impossible. This crazy giant contract is not immovable if you ship the money back. So you're, you're right. That's actually a, a really – I reckon that goes into the calculus if you're Sam Presti. As they go, if I could trade Russ for something and let the team – what could you get for Russ? I mean, we could, boy, that would be a fun – well, it would depend on what he did this season, but you, you imagine he's going to have a triple double again. Kevin Love and Rodney Hood, right? I don't know, right? There you mm-hmm. go. It could be. It could be. I mean, certainly a team in in the and, and Russ going to the East is a different scenario. Then then you maybe you make the finals depending on how things break out over there. Well, he could be. He could go for another. Keep his triple double streak going, right? That's really what he's. That's what his career wants to be about. He wants to be Oscar Robertson, basically. Um. That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. I haven't got my head wrapped around that yet, but um, look, I, yeah, because mm. Paul George ain't going anywhere now. Schroeder ain't. He, well, Paul George is there for the long haul. Schroeder's still got, what, three years left on his deal, so he's not going anywhere for some time, and this is a longer a longer year, three years left at $15.5 million a year left on his deal. So he's not going anywhere in a hurry either. Um, Could Russ play with LeBron? No, I don't think so. Why? Tell, tell me the, just, they just both need the ball. Is that they a, need the ball. Is that the com- the, 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 I think LeBron's yeah. head would explode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So I don't know who who could Russ play with. Um, I'm not. I'm not I'm just not sure. I mean, look, and and yeah, you know, at times I love the guy, uh, but um, yeah, when he when he took it to the Warriors last year and and was sort of muggy on the court, I thought I'll oh, give them a little bit of justice. I, I loved it, but um, 
I'm not sure I'd like to be rooting for him as an OKC fan, to be honest. No, it's got to get tiring. They seem to, everyone loves him, though. Everyone seems they love like him. him. The, the OKC fans love him. They're, they're irrational with their, with their love for him. So, But if you come around, though, I think if we sort of landed on a place where we agree, though, that the, of the options that Presti had before him with Carmelo, that acquiring a talent like a shooter... Is a oh, I agree, and this is what I think. Risk. I think yeah. the longer-term yeah. thinking is: if it doesn't work with Russ this year, Schroeder is going to be our point guard going forward, and we have the option of moving Russ, and maybe they cut bait on him. That's that's what I think is more likely. If it doesn't work this year, that Russ Westbrook's the guy on the outer, not Billy Donovan, because it doesn't matter what coach you bring in at this stage, surely um, with Westbrook, because he's just not listening. I mean, he just doesn't get it. Does no, he, about he, what, not, he, what what he no, needs he, to do to help. It's not about helping the team win. It's about putting up stats, and I think it's just not even about putting up stats. I think he just thinks we've I've, I've got to be the one that does it. And I guess in his defence, when Paul George is shooting two of sixteen and Melo does a disappearing act, what's he supposed to do in Game Six against Utah? So I, I do feel for him a little bit. But I think there's also an element where he's too quick to say, oh, I've got to take this game over, rather than trusting his teammates um, a little bit more. And I think we saw that one of the reasons they lost against Golden State was because they didn't trust their teammates. And when it came down to time to some of the other guys having to hit shots in big moments in that series, um, they they either weren't ready or didn't want to hit didn't want to hit any shots. Um, or, you know, weren't able to hit the shots anyway uh, when it came down or because, the, you know, it was all the, the Westbrook and Durant show, your turn, my turn, for six and a half games. And then when they turned to their teammates, uh, everyone was surprised they didn't come through. But I'm not sure what you're supposed to do um, yeah. at that point. So let's move on to another signing, Daz. And this is one that's going to move the needle, I think, massively in the Western Conference. And that was uh, Michael Beasley to the LA Lakers. Uh <laughs> What a freak show. I mean, what what is going on out there? Some people are saying this is a, a reality TV show and uh, LeBron's just going to have cameras following him all year and see what he's doing. I, I cannot... This is just... It's it's gotten beyond the joke now. This has gone from the sublime to the ridiculous of, of team building around LeBron. And it's just like... I, I, I'm just fascinated to see how LeBron approaches this season and we asked the question when he first signed that was before the Rondo and the Boosley signings there's just one of two ways this is going to go LeBron's going to go balls to the wall I'm going to get the MVP and I'm just going to put up as much numbers as I can and see what I can do with this team or he's going to go you know what I need to just take it easy for a year see what I've got around me see what those young guys have got you know, try and sneak into a seven eight seed and just but but not push myself to the limit the way I have the last few years for the Cavs. I think that's probably more likely, but I am fascinated to see how LeBron approaches this season because this is the biggest train wreck of a roster that uh that we've seen for some time. Yeah, look I I was of that mindset the, the day LeBron signed there and then went on his, you know, his European holidays. He's and signed his three plus one contract which is he's writing the season off effectively but would you be shocked if i said to you he averages 30 points next year eight rebounds eight assists totally shocked i would be yeah i would i would i would be shocked if he 
it's not impossible again. What happens when you step on the court? You, you know, all the muscle muscle memory comes back to you. And but I, I think he's he will find a way to ground himself and play the long game. And like I said, he's going to be Uncle LeBron. I think more this year. Like, well, does he like also said, say to Lonzo? Talk about playing off the ball. Does he say, you know what, let's see what Lonzo's got running the show a lot more. I'm going to play off the ball because this is where my career is going to have to go in the next few years and yeah. I'm getting ready for that transition because this guy's so smart on the court. That may very well be what he's thinking next year and go, even if Lonzo's not part of the plan, let's see if he can run the offense. I'll start practicing what I'm going to need to do next year playing off the ball and we either come back with Lonzo again or we go in the free agency and get someone that is going to run the point and I can sort of share duties with them but I'm yeah. going to play more off the ball. That's the sort of thinking I think we're going to see from LeBron this year and we've, we've seen a lot of guys that are just chuckers and also guys like Rondo that need the ball in their hands. I think you're going to see LeBron's usage. I'll be very interested to see where LeBron's usage ends up next year in comparison to where it's been uh, in the last couple of years in Cleveland. If you look at this portfolio of clowns that they've signed, <laughs> you could actually you could make you could make a case that they've actually thin sliced LeBron's capabilities and said, let's find players who just do one. They just do one of these capabilities really well. So thin slice the a ball handling savant that LeBron has, there's yep. your Rondo. You thin slice the the unconscious bucket getter that LeBron has, there's your Beasley. You thin slice the um, I will literally sniff your jock <laughs> and blow in your ear and tickle your taint to get inside you to to be feared by nobody defender. Um, when you play KD, there's your Lance Stevenson. So I go, maybe LeBron's actually thin-sliced himself and said, give me one player who's a fearless defender, one player who can handle the ball, one player who can bucket get, so, so I can do more you know, backseat playing. And oh, oh, by the way, the added side effect is that this is going to be the craziest. I'm missing somebody. Javon McGee, that's their starting center. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's a sideshow no matter where he goes. So I go, I, I can talk myself into the narrative that he's thin-sliced these these nuanced parts of his game um, and said, let this be a place where I hold court in 82 post game press conferences and just sit and soak it all up. And I'm going to give you the world. I'm going to filter this through my gigantic basketball brain and spin some narrative that he doesn't even know how it's going to play out, but he knows that the characters are really fucking interesting from Ingram and balls growth to, these goofballs to his, you know. To, oh. Well, it's, it's, but is this a playoff team, does? Is this a playoff team? Because this is the point. If LeBron's not going to go balls out, I, I don't know that this is, a, this, this is a playoff team then. Because surely he's going to have to put them on his back to get them to the playoffs in the Western Conference. Is this a playoff team? Jeez. Am I ready for that conversation? Um, again, that's always a question that has to be by reference. Um, well, the Spurs were supposed to fall off after Kawhi. I don't think they have. They've actually, in some ways, may have gotten look, better. Look, I'm, I'm right. Obviously, Suns and Kings and Mavs are written off. That's three. Memphis. Yeah, Clippers, we'll, you can we'll write un- off. I think I can write off the Clippers as well. Yeah. <laughs> they can finish second their division, Des. Even know what the divisions are anymore. No. Yeah, look, the Lakers are going to be fighting with Denver 
um, Minnesota and the Spurs, I think, for mm. that through, I think, 7 and 8, 7, 8, 9, 10. I think your Jazz, Blazers, OKC, uh, Minnesota, Houston, Golden State, Jesus, there's so the many. Pelicans still? Pels, the Pels, mm. I think, are looking really strong. Yeah, look, I think they're in that 6 to 10 range. They are. I don't I don't think they're a top five team by any stretch. That's not a hot take. But yeah, this is a I team think there's going to have to, if they're going to make the playoffs, LeBron's going to have to put in a ga- like a, a 10 to 15 game stretch of just spectacular basketball and they go 13 and 2 or something. And then he's just going to, and, and then if, if the, the thing is, oh, I'm going to sort of take a back seat and I'm, I'm playing the long game. I think that if they're going to make the plus, he's going to need to put in a shift like that where he just really does put the team on his back and says, um, yeah, I'll, I'll lead us on the on a really nice run and then hopefully well, the rest of them can, can stay. Yeah. They weren't a complete train wreck last year, some of these guys either, but you know, they have lost a couple of contributors from that team as well, um, such as they were, in, so, in, particularly in Brooke Lopez, I think. At the center so a few, yeah, a few final comments is one, if you believe what some of the optimists believe that Brennan Ingram is a potential 20 point a game scorer this year, that might be, you know, good for LeBron to play the four next to that would be fun for him to have a three finally to play next to, um, uh, LeBron James also beat the 73 win team, the greatest preseason, the greatest regular season in history. So never, ever, ever bet against him. And number three, there's nothing to gain by missing the playoffs. There's just, you know, what's the difference? You get you know, the number 13 draft pick or the number 17. You might as well get in the playoffs and create theater and scare the shit out of people and develop your team, right? Because the way this team's going to develop is through free agency, not the draft anyways. They have zero to gain by, Yeah, but know, then the question uh, becomes... Bringing, how much effort does LeBron have to put in to get this turn to the playoffs? I and get that, that. That's, I think, what's going to be fascinating. Look what he, is, this, is this roster better than last year's Cleveland roster? Oh, no. I don't think so. You don't so. think so? Well, there's no Kevin Love, um, for starters. Uh, well, gee, it, it falls off after that. But, I mean, it, it, it's hard to assess that Cleveland roster saying, right? because it's it was like, too... Yeah, far better. There was but two got... distinct Cleveland teams last year, so it's impossible to actually look at that roster because I, I don't know where that roster would have finished if they didn't make those trades because they were on an absolute freefall in, in January. The trades didn't help, but if they didn't trade, I think they'd have been worse if they would have stuck with Isaiah. Well, the trades only helped because it seemed to Joe's LeBron a little bit, and, and George Hill played some decent minutes, although most of that was in the playoffs, to be fair. Um and, and Nance didn't do much. Clarkson didn't do but, much. Hood didn't do much. That's why I'm saying LeBron James can elevate that that team last year to a, you know, to the NBA Finals. And I go, you don't underestimate how the savant, the goat, or number two goat. I don't care. Let's call mm. him the goat for this conversation. You just don't understand. This team is a. But again, a, he put in a big effort last year in the regular season. I mean, I remember from him. the. But again, that was the context was from the beginning, right? With with Kyrie gone, he mm. he was breathing fire all season because he cares a lot um, about legacy, about the Cleveland fans. I think he knew as soon as Kyrie wanted out that he. And was I don't gone, think so he's he... going to do that this year. So we've we've lesser a lesser supporting cast or any more. Though I guess we'll see if it's a lesser supporting cast. I'll, but guess I'll what I'm saying? I, I actually trust a. Um, 
KCP and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram yeah, maybe. to step up more than J.R. Smith and Rodney Hood and, you know, mm. that, that team last year. I actually trust that there's there's some upside, right? If Lonzo is healthy, that's an if, and Ingram takes a net, another step, doesn't even have to be an all-star, another step, but another step forward. I can see that team, you know, playing well enough to win your, you know, to create a situation where in the final 20 games of the season, you know, after, after, you know, 62 games, they're, I don't know, 38 and 24, 36 and 26. And you go, okay, let's have a go. I think that's a, that's possible. So, um, yeah, I think you're probably the, the, right. I mean, I think they're the, going to be sitting at that just above 500. And then, as I yeah. say, I think LeBron's going to go, all right, let's go Push. on a run, particularly yeah. when he looks at the schedule. And you know how LeBron's going to look at it. He's going to go, this is an easy part of the schedule. This is the harder part. And whether he just says, I'm going to play balls out in the easy part and make sure we go on that winning run, uh, we'll wait and see, I guess. Um, but I don't, I'd be interested too, if he does start the season well putting up numbers and gets in that MVP conversation, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if he pushes for that or not because I think he realises this is not a championship team. So in the past it's been a championship or bust and we've heard you know he cares more about the finals MVP than he does regular season MVP. Um, I think next season... Does the MVP hold a... Because this is probably going to be his best chance of winning it again, I think. I don't think he's going to necessarily be interested in it past this year. Um, so I, I think that's going to get fascinating. And, and we've sort of spoken about whether the MVP award has been devalued a bit. And I think it has the way it's sort of played out the last couple of years. Um, and you can argue whether it should have been Harden or LeBron on the regular season. But if, if you're talking about the best players in the NBA, I don't even think James Harden's one of the top five players in the NBA, and yet he won the MVP. So I think there's obviously something wrong with the award there. But this year, yeah. if we're going to talk about legacies, obviously that comes into it, and, and people will use the, the however many Jordan won versus how many. I think what's LeBron won, two or three at this point? If he can get another MVP, and we know that's the he's won four MVPs and three titles. Yep. Yep. Okay. So if he can get that one other MVP, get it up to five. So I think it's going to be if he does start the season well and he's putting up numbers and gets himself in that conversation. I can actually see him, um, or at least having the decision to make in his own mind: Do I kick on uh, onto this or not, or or am I still going to look at playing the long game? And is it more about? titles in years to come rather than, than playing for individual awards um, next year so there's, there's a lot going on there Daz and I think it is going to be fa- as I said the most fascinating thing about that 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 whole season of the Lakers is not even where they finish playoffs whatever it's going to be what is LeBron James um, attitude next year and how does he approach the season I'm going to be 100% um, his contract tells me that he is not trying to win Unlike in Miami, he was trying to win four titles in four years. Yep. His his objective in Los Angeles is to win one, Daz. Yep. Yep. I'm convinced it's just win one. And if that means his approach to getting that one is, you know, do an evaluation, take it a bit easy, learn to play a new role, coach, the, coach stroke, you know, guide these kids, Lonzo Ingram, et cetera, through the process, or it's they push all the chips in sort of approach. I think we're seeing it's going to be the former, the cap space opening up, you know, next summer as well is perhaps the, you know, that final two or three years of that is when he really thinks he can, he can finish that, 
finish the job, basically get the fourth title. Maybe Golden State loses Clay or 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 Draymond and sees them step back. Maybe Kevin Durant goes. So I think let's give him credit. He knows he's not winning this year. He wants to win one in L.A. I don't think he's counting MVPs anymore. I just don't get that. And if he's counting MVPs, then he's probably got the wrong focus because, as you just said, they're they're not worth as much as they were, say, 20 years ago. So I I think he's his legacy is so entrenched already in terms of titles and his prominence and what he's meant for the sport and off the court and and ownership. I don't think he's got any more legacy risks. But I think it's one more t- one more title, right? Give me give me the fourth title. Three cities, you know, in a crazily competitive era, I in in iconic LA, he will be a deity, right? I, I, I yeah, mm. I think he wants to win one, and it, it's most certainly not happening. It's well, certainly not. It's zero no, it's no zero percent chance. Happening zero. Next year. It's zero. Um, yeah. So the last thing I'd say is too, Mike Muscala was part of that deal and I don't think that's insignificant. He ends up in Philly um, and, and they lost to Berlitzer. So we, we spoke about Berlitzer uh, last week as a signing for Philly that we really like. Well, he since has backed out of that deal and actually went to Sacramento. So they were short a, a sort of stretch four and they've picked up Mike Muscala who shot 38% from three for his career mm. days. So he is yeah. a guy that can play the stretch four. Look, it's not a sexy signing, but I think it's a guy that you're going to see in a number of games this year and go, actually, that's that's a nice guy that bring off the bench and he might be able to come on and hit hit some shots and I guess play the Ursan role um, in some respects that Ursan was able to play for them when they went on that run at the end of last year. So not not the biggest news, obviously, but it, it's it's not an insignificant signing, I don't think, either for a team that, that has... Um, you know, at least Eastern Conference title aspirations uh, for next year. So, look, Daz, I think we might leave it there, though, for tonight. Um, and I know we're going to leave it for a couple of weeks because uh, the sort of NBA season has wound down now. So we're going to answer some of the bigger questions um, of the off-season when we speak in a couple of weeks and maybe um, lament the loss, the loss of NFL from our lives as well, which we spoke about before we come on there. But uh, is there any sort of, any other sort of things you've, you've you're looking forward to in the off-season getting resolved? I guess it's only really the Capella contract from here, which seems a fait accompli that he'll be back. Well, I'm also having a lookout for who are other players who've committed but not signed that Vlade Divac can poach <laughs> because he poached Bielica from um, I didn't realise Bielica was 30. I thought he was younger than yeah. that. So he, he, well, he was up a getting... EuroLeague MVP for years, wasn't he? That's and right, then, yep. But did you also see that the... Um, Vlade just poached Yogi Ferrell <laughs> Yogi Ferrell from Dallas who had a commitment with Dallas and backed out of his deal with Dallas to go sign with Vlade as well, well so good, good on Vlade this is the way he's getting back at Danny Ainge and Sam Hinkie <laughs> through all the dumb deals he's going to he's gonna do some dodgy you know, uh, off balance sheet transactions here and uh, steal some players away. I'm looking for who's next who's next man So uh, alright well, yeah, we'll take a break for a while, Daz. I think we should uh, we'll ref- reflect, let this all set in, and see what starts to happen before before camp starts rolling around here in about six weeks or so. Yeah. All right, mate. No worries. Well, enjoy the off-season, Daz, and we'll, we'll talk in um, sooner rather than later. Good luck with tomorrow, buddy. All see right. Ya. Thanks, mate. Bye.